table. Okay, great. Which table? What? Well, what do you want to do? You want to be a creative director, a lead programmer, a writer, art director? What do you want? Yes. Yes what? Yes, I want to do this, the stuff you just said. everyone, and welcome back to the Furidashi Podcast. I am Nicholas. I am here with Lauren. Lauren, please say hi to the wonderful people. Hi to you wonderful, beautiful people. <laughs> All right. So the thing is, we on the pod have been talking about mechanics and systems, and we got into narrative systems on the Patreon episode last week, and it's a really fantastic episode. In fact, our Patreons themselves have told us what a great episode it is. And so for you people out there who have been mooching off of us for the past two years, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. What he's saying is that we really appreciate the support of our Patreon subscribers who for this long time have been silent, but we actually do have a Discord tier which enables yep. you to hound us. And this is one of the few times where they have not only hounded us, but have actually showed praise. So we have been very excited <laughs> to see that community pick up. And so once again, right, this is the only advertisements you will get from us until we get sponsored. Please go to our Patreon subscribing channel. And if you are already a $5 tier member, please excite yourselves to the $15 tier where you get direct access to our community and learning of all about not just what we talk about on the podcast, but any of the problems that you're having as well or other academic theories that you guys want help from. Yeah. Yeah. And do that because we don't want to have to sell mattresses. All right. We don't want to have to sell mattresses. <laughs> but the but point if that we I... do. <laughs> <laughs> but if one day we are selling mattresses on the corner, you'll know why. <laughs> anyway, so the point that I was trying to make is that so we, we have gotten to a point where we're talking very extensively about sort of the relationship between mechanics and systems. We're starting to get into particular kinds of systems. This week, we actually are going to set that aside for the time being. And the reason why is because... Um, going forward, we want to be a little bit more systematic in how we, in terms of how we address systems, because one of the things that we realized when we started talking about narrative systems is that we kind of like realized how big that really is. <laughs> so yeah, we didn't take a for, systemic yeah. approach to narratively <laughs> telling you about these narrative systems. So exactly. it was very ironic, yes. uh, but quite right on the nose. <laughs> Or uh, how most things start for us. So we're going to go further in and dissect those for you. So today yeah. we're taking a bit of a brief respite from that. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, Nicholas, oh, yeah. what are we talking oh, about? Oh, okay, what are we talking about? We are talking about the MDA framework. Now, the reason why Lauren and I... We actually have had this on our master schedule for quite a long time because we keep bringing it up kind of just ad hoc in relationship to all sorts of things. Um, and so we figured that for your benefit, so that you all know what MDA is, 
um, that we would actually have an episode dedicated specifically to it. So you're probably sitting there wondering, but Nicholas, what is the MDA framework? Okay, so, <laughs> um, well, it's important to know, one, what MDA stands for. So the M in MDA is mechanics, the D is dynamics, and the A is aesthetics. Now, this is a framework that was actually um, developed by a trio of game designers. Um, we should note one of whom is not a, a, a pleasant person and definitely is not someone you should um be looking to for advice or um any sort of yeah tldr <laughs> just you know there are lots of people who put out a lot of different products and sometimes yeah. the product is valuable and you can learn from that product but that doesn't yeah. necessarily make that human being that created a, a personable one or one of idealization exactly. and also don't put your idols on pedestals don't put yes. me on a pedestal don't put nicholas on a pedestal yes right unless we actually won like a swimming competition which i would lose <laughs> <against Nicholas. laughs> that's uh, true i'm a very good right. swimmer and lauren's okay I, i'm just okay <laughs> yeah. um maybe i would win in running because i am quite small um, yeah, I'm a terrible runner, so you probably okay. Yeah, so I'll win the running one, but unless there is a physical competition happening, just don't idolize people, <laughs> um, and you know, be very critical of of anyone who you see others idolizing as well, right? So. Uh, okay, so MDA. Um, in fact, one of the advantages of it being a kind of academicy thing is that there was a paper that was produced that actually explains what MDA is. In fact, I will link to it in the show notes. Um, and the paper is titled, if you want to go look it up right now, you, you can't be bothered to click on a link. It's titled um, MDA colon, a formal approach to game design and game research. And the abstract says, in this paper, we presented the MDA framework, standing for mechanics, dynamics, and aesthetics, developed and taught as part of the game design and tuning workshop at the Game Developers Conference San Jose 2001 to 2004. MD <laughs> which is about as you have <laughs> as you choke over it yeah. um is over 20 years old at this point thereabouts yeah. and so this is something they had been working for right for those three years they taught it this is when the gdc was at san jose because that was the yeah. larger city to do it and not yep. san francisco yep um and nicholas you can go ahead and read in the abstract but it is important to recognize yeah. that this is one of the most well-referenced papers that we have in the industry because quite frankly no other game designers afterwards have really been teaching game design to other people right they're making games yeah i mean it, it's worth noting that there are people who write on particular topics and you know there are various like textbooks on on game design but what's different about mda is that it's not just like if you read a lot of those textbooks, you'll notice that they tend to be very like eclectic. They tend to sort of draw together a whole bunch of different things into sort of like one cohesive book. Whereas what MDA is, is that it's sort of a totalizing framework. It's a way of conceptualizing the entire process. In fact, they even say that. They say it's a formal approach to understanding games, one which attempts to bridge the gap between game design and development, game criticism, and technical game research. Now, why is this important? Because what they're really saying here, and this is why it's very important for specifically our podcast and our whole project, is that they're saying that this is a framework that is going to bridge the way critics, in other words, people who are sort of like on the more analytical side of the equation, people like me, understand games and game design. 
and to bridge that with the way people who make games understand them. In other words, they want to provide a totalizing framework that both of those seemingly distinct groups can use. And then go on to say, we believe this methodology will clarify and strengthen the iterative processes of developers, scholars, and researchers alike. So that's what I was saying earlier. It's, it's about trying to sort of like combine, not combine, or sort of like merge these groups into a sort of like collective understanding. And I think part of the appeal for this, especially for someone like me, is because I know when I do a lot of the like uh, background research and reading, I get really frustrated by the fact that like so much terminology seems to be invented on the spot and that there's not really sort of like a consistent language. There's not even necessarily a consistent like perspective that people bring to game design. In fact, in many ways, it's like you have camps or like even like individual studios have completely different approaches to how game design is supposed to work. So there is a certain appeal to having a common language and a common framework for understanding these things. Now, not only is there a certain appeal, but so Nicholas can have some reference into my own study and research of this. Many researchers and academics that are not a part of the MDA, but that have come afterwards and have had not only their research uh, attributed at, say, huge companies like Ubisoft, but have also done their own companies and have researched things as well, actually draw a lot of terminology and shared language from the MDA framework set about by its authors. Now, yeah. two of the most important people that I would absolutely name drop here because you should go look up their work. One is Nicole Lazaro. She is yes. a San Francisco Bay Area creator as well as an academic. And she absolutely she studied more of the aesthetics and in her work where she talks about creating emotional connections and gameplay she tries to say how do you find the fun and she created right four keys of fun yeah the second person um is jason vandenberg and he is known as talked, Lord of who, Darth, who yeah, we've talked we've, about yeah um and jason vandenberg did the five he did ocean and he did yeah. like the big five which big eventually five. became the big four because he recognized that in certain players, one of the personality things of OCEAN, O-C-E-A-N, it's an acronym, N stands for neuroticism. And yeah. basically, as he developed more and more research, there was no correlation between someone being super high neurotic and someone being super no low neurotic, because both would play the same types of games. Yeah. But, I, now, if, that, I, but, but if I recall... In our old episode, we, we actually kind of broke yeah, that down a little bit yeah, further. Yeah. And we're like, wait, there is a subgenre of niches. So if you want to yes. go back to, I, I don't know if it was a Patreon episode or a non-Patreon episode. I think it was a regular but, episode. I will link that as well. In but the we will link that as well, right? And I want to bring up those names because they also, right, in the academic history, are bringing back to the MDA. The reason why this is, and this context is incredibly important for historical accuracy, is that all of these people teach taught something, teached something, sorry, this is an evening episode, taught something <laughs> called the Game Design Workshop. Now, that's yeah. what GDW, if you've, I'm sure you've seen those books on the shelves, right, as everybody says, if you want to be a game designer or an academic, right, and you really want to learn a formal approach to game design, yep. you get the Game Design Workshop. I myself actually attended one of their um, lessons for free, and I thought it was quite interesting. My own academic program was modeled quite frequently off of the game design workshop, having come from this MDA framework, right, in this academic approach to game design. So I I stress this because the MDA has had incredible impact on this industry 
And now being over 20 years old, I think it will still have that incredible impact and have a shared vocabulary, right, between all of our things. Yeah. So so now that we've really kind of dived in, this is the intro of the episode too. like, what is the MDA? What is the yeah. historical context? Right. Why it's important to us. Right. And not just us as Nicholas and Lauren, but us as this community of listeners here is that when we are developers, critics, researchers, right, trying to find a shared vocabulary that is development wide or industry wide. Right. Yeah. We have to recognize that I, as a developer, coming from that entire practical section, have a certain lingo, right? Even down to how you animate a character on a rig, that yep. we have made up terms for like the node you put at the belly button that do not <laughs> exist, okay? But like if I talk to another industry professional, they will like completely not know what I'm talking about, right? Because it doesn't yeah, yeah. exist in other engines. And so that's yep. important, right? Is that Nicholas is like laughing on the other end here because why would you need that? I could I, I could go into why you need it. But all I'm saying is that's how level of granularity of jargon that we have in the industry as developers, yeah. much less whatever the academics decide to come up with. Yes. And, academic, and if there's anyone in the world who loves inventing jargon, it's academics. I myself have invented some jargon in my time, and I'm deeply ashamed that I did it. And I will take my penance off off camera, <laughs> off off mic, I guess. Uh, anyway, but to to get into sort of the 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 three components of MDA. So, first of all, mechanics. And here's the thing. So, like we have defined mechanics on in Furidashi one particular way, and we did it so as to be sort of like broadly inclusive. We have defined mechanics as simply actions that players take in a game. But what's interesting is that sort of the the three authors of the MDA framework define mechanics as okay. I'll just give them, you their definition: uh, the particular components of the game at the level of data representation and algorithms. Now, why is this important? Because their definition of mechanics is very code-centric. And we on the podcast actually went out of our way to avoid a code-centric definition of mechanics, in part because we have a much more inclusive sort of understanding of what the game is, is it's sort of like the event of interface. But what's weird about the MDA framework is that it's sort of, takes the question of interface and sort of sets it aside for later discussion. Because one of the things that they do assume that actually we discussed, not in our most recent episode, because that was a Patreon episode, but in our most recent free episode, is this problem of how the the way in which a player perceives the sort of the structure and the systems of a game is fundamentally inverted from the way in which the designer experiences the structure and the systems of a game. And in fact, they actually try to tackle this head on. Then there's this this cute little graphic and it, it has really sort of weird smiley faces that they don't look happy. These smiley faces do not look happy. But the point is, is that so they have the letters M, D, and A in sequence. And so then the designer experiences the sort of the progression from the M to the A. In other words, the designer begins from mechanics and from their definition, like, you know, mechanics as code, essentially, to the dynamics, which sort of for them are, as they say, the runtime behavior of the mechanics acting on player inputs and each other's outputs over time. Most people would actually refer to this as systems, but they call them dynamics. 
And then from there on to the aesthetics. So this is in many ways sort of the what sometimes is referred to as sort of like, you know, the narrative rapper or sort of the artistic rapper. The idea is that once you have sort of first solidified, you, you begin from code, from code you build systems, and then onto systems you apply pretty pictures. But they point, if you look at this very same graphic with the MDA and sequence, the player is on the other end. The player experiences the aesthetics first, then the dynamics, and then potentially the underlying mechanics. So that I think Lauren and I, I mean, Lauren, you may disagree, but I think we would actually agree with that, that you, that the, the player and the designer sort of experience the game structure in completely inverted ways. Would you agree? I don't know if I can say that I a hundred percent agree with that. And okay. the reason why is that this is a little bit twofold for me. Yeah. I very much disagreed with the MDA framework when I began my thesis. Yeah. Um, and it's not that it wasn't helpful. It's not that it wasn't enlightening, right? But like every, I had already come from a very high like academic background when I started in game design. And for yeah. me, my inner critic went, look, this is very helpful. And you tried to establish a process, but the historical constraints and how games were made in that olden, olden time, while might be true today, right? You do start with code. You as the original developer, as a game designer, you don't need to know code, right, to know C++. So for yeah. me, the high-level principle of does a consumer see the aesthetics or the fun of the game first, and then do they understand the systems, and then do they understand, like, the mechanics? Because yeah. I'd agree with what, I disagree with what their definition of mechanics <laughs> is, I have to say yeah. no. Yeah. But I do think that the player does experience a game in a different order than a designer or a developer does. Okay. So high level, yes, I do agree with their basic smiley chart premise. But yeah. no, I don't actually agree with how they've laid it out because I don't think it is a one-way street. Well, and also, and I think, so Lauren brings up a really good point. And it also sort of speaks to um, something that else that they say in this particular article, which is... So I'm just going to read it. Fundamental to this framework is the, and I, I, the first time I read this, this just, I was like, this is bonkers. Fundamental to this framework is the idea that games are, and then this is emphasized because it's in italics, more like artifacts than media. By this, we mean that the content of a game is its behavior, not the media that streams out of it towards the player. And Reading this, I was like, ladies and gentlemen, could I introduce you to this thing called communication studies <laughs> and grad school and media studies? Because, <laughs> and graduate school. Because, <laughs> like, I can't believe someone said this. I know. Like, also, with it, I just realized as I was going through my <laughs> academic credentials that I actually have a degree in international communication, which yeah. I did not realize that I got because yes, I forgot that you had to get two degrees. Well, I knew it because I signed it. So. You signed it. Yep, I literally, you signed I, I my literally did sign her. Yeah, exactly. So as my international communication <laughs> major in in media. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Might I introduce you to a little friend called Theory? 
Well, because this introduces a, a problem because, as, as they go on to say, thinking about games as designed artifacts helps frame them as systems that build behavior via interaction. And the reason why I think this... We'll, in our Patreon episode, we're going to get into what we think is problematic. But before we get into the problem with it, I want to be very clear about what they're trying to say. What they're saying is, is that the game almost has a kind of autonomous presence, like yes. it, it generates conditions and you can even see this in the way that they describe mechanics because they describe mechanics where uh, it's a little bit further down. So give me a second. They say mechanics are the, ver- so they begin by saying something that is very similar to what Lauren and I have said, but then it gets weird. They say mechanics are the various actions, behaviors, and control mechanisms. That sounds like something that we have said, except there's more afforded to the player within a game context in other words mechanics are these like little gifts that the the game understood as this like concrete artifact offers to the player that the player then either like accepts or rejects now this is incredibly exciting from a literary studies standpoint, and yes. I want you to know that we are basically going through this document in order. So if you are listening to us on a computer and you want to rewind a little bit and you want to bring this up, please go ahead. Um, as we look at the MDA framework, as Lauren right? dings. <laughs> yeah, did I ding? You I dinged. did ding. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I did. Damn it! I'm so sorry. Okay. I turned notifications <laughs> off. I, um, there's there we go. Okay. okay, it it turned back on for some reason. All right. Thank you. Pardon the interruption. Um, <laughs> this is really fascinating from a literary theory standpoint because this is incredibly based from going back to graduate school or just theory you know, theory in general, when you have yeah. a lit studies or an international communications degree, you recognize this is an authorial intent mindset. This is as if yeah. the author was always right, right? Now, yeah. the reason why I say this is because when you're writing a novel or you're writing a, a play, right, or, or a screen or you're watching a movie, you always ask, well, what did the director intend? Right? What did the author intend? So now this framework is already telling you it's based off the premise that the game designers, the auteur, right? The game director, what did they want you to have as an experience? And for those of you who've been listening for a long time or know me personally, you already can see why I started to disagree with this in my wee old youth um, when I was introduced to the MBA. Little babby Lauren. Little Lauren. Because mechanics are various actions, behaviors, right? I mean, control mechanisms is a very cold way of phrasing input actions um but the fact of the matter is that this phrasing assumes that the game design and the code itself is is a tangible artifact that is not malleable and is not controllable by the player and i want that to sink in for just a nice breath here as we just breathe that in the mechanics if they are afforded to you, right? Not an affordance, not something you take, are not under your influence. And that yeah. underpins, right, what a mechanic is for the MDA framework. Now, we could be wrong. They can always come back and argue with us on the podcast, which would be great if any of you are listening. But what I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is like we really want to um we understand, right? And it goes in to say, that together with the game's content, i.e. the levels, the assets, yeah. so I guess art, 
right? The mechanics. No, 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 so not art, not art, no. Not art? Okay, is that no. all aesthetics? Okay, so yeah. lev levels, uh, assets, and so on. Well, then don't put and so on if someone's going to say art. Uh, the mechanics <laughs> support overall <laughs> gameplay dynamics, right? So well, for example, yeah, 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 go ahead. So uh, because the reason why I said not is, okay, because they also have a weird definition of aesthetics. So let's go back to aesthetics. So we, we've- so, so to frame what it's yeah. and not art, let's go back to aesthetics and see, because what's interesting is when we are saying we're going back to aesthetics, they themselves already have a critical philosophy of our- uh, fallacy of their writing in that while they said the developer and the game designer starts with the code and the mechanics they <laughs> themselves start their paper with aesthetics now for more problems you'll have to <laughs> sign up for our patreon let's continue okay no but we're not going to look at this from because we we want to understand what it is that they're saying first and yes. what what's what's unusual here is the fact that like so when most people say aesthetics usually what they're referring to are they're referring to artistic things. They're referring to, say, visual aesthetics, audio aesthetics. Like, they're referring to things, aesthetics, like, because of the, the Greek word that it is derived from, they're referring to things that you experience via your senses, because that's the root of, the, of, the, of aesthetics, is the senses. However, for aesthetics in the MDA framework, as they say, describes the, quote, desirable emotional responses evoked in the player when she interacts with the game system. So Which, they, they another define, graphic, yeah. hold on, with just in another yeah. graphic is also bubbled as fun. Yeah, okay, but I again, I don't I mean, we're going to be very snarky in the Patreon episode, so I want to try and just be concrete and like figure out what's going no, no, on. No, no, but I think that is yeah. important to understand that when yeah. they think of the emotional responses coming from the player, yes, to them true. they yeah. also yeah. are partnering those emotional responses with fun. I understand that I was snarky and I apologize. I will it's, be more No, you don't need to apologize. We can say whatever we want. It's our podcast. <laughs> no, but so the but the point that I wanted to to emphasize is that they're defining aesthetics as interface essentially. And then the the reaction from the player as the result of interface. And so then when you look at the way in which they break down aesthetics, they give eight, but this is not an exhaustive list apparently, but they have sensation, which is the game as sense pleasure. So what most people would def define as aesthetics, they define as one of many possible kinds of aesthetic. Um, they have fantasy, game is make-believe. Narrative is apparently an aesthetic. Okay, sure. <laughs> Which they define as game is drama. Challenge, game is obstacle course. Fellowship, game is social framework. That Okay, that's definitely taking things in a very different direction. Discovery, game is... Un because here's the thing. If the game is social framework, you have now introduced another level of interface. Because now you're not just talking about interface with game. You're also talking about interface with other people via game. And Don't as, forget, you said we were going to get into the problems in a different episode. But this isn't a problem. What I'm what I'm trying to emphasize okay. is that like the aesthetic category here encompasses. How should I put this? It's almost like they really should have called it effects, because mechanics. So if mechanics are code, they're they're sort of the the basic like you know digital building blocks of a game. If dynamics okay. are, are, are functionally equivalent to systems, which is to say sort of like the structures that are built out of those building blocks, then aesthetics, as they're defining it, are the effects of those dynamics, those systems on a player. 
that's why I was sort of trying to emphasize the point about interface. And the reason why I, I harped on like how broad this category is, is because I really think what they're talking about are effects. So if we're trying to sort of think of this in say literary terms, like, so let's say, let's say we're not talking about a game. Let's say the artifact in question was a book. Like, let's say if we applied this framework to a literary text, one, they're saying that the mechanics of a book are the things that it says. And what it says is something that inheres entirely in that book. In other words, what it says cannot be a function of context. It cannot be a function of reader response. It is in the book. It's always in the book. That's it. Then the dynamics would be sort of the way in which that sort of like literary text, like let's say it's an epic poem. Well, and how an epic poem relates to other kinds of epic poems. How, say, a, I don't know, um, a Regency era novel relates to other Regency era novels. In other yeah, words, and, that's the yeah, level of context. Yeah, not just for what he's talking about is not just what it says, but it's what the book's structure is. So it yeah. could be told like the Witcher novels, right? In a exactly, series yeah. of short stories. It yeah. could be told as an epic poem, like John Milton's Paradise Lost, right? It could be Shakespeare, right? Yeah. It could be written all in a sonnet. So while the mechanics are what it is says, right? The authorial intent, right? Is the structure. It's how, right? They wanted you to read it. Yeah. And then in this framework, you, the reader slash player, only become involved at the moment of what they refer to as aesthetics or what we might call, I guess you could say, like the effect of the text on a particular reader or a particular audience. And that text could be anything. It could be a film on its viewers. It could be a play on its spectators. This is actually an extremely conservative. I mean, it still exists in literary studies, but it is a very conservative approach. It is a very conservative approach, not just to literary theory, but to game design as well. Now, when I say conservative and when we say conservative, I'm not trying to say like there's, I mean, it's not political. What we're saying is that it's not yeah. anything novel. It's not saying anything new. And what the MDA framework, now this is literary studies. Okay. So yeah. when we look at authorial intent, right? When you read a book to be saying that this is just the words, right? It's almost yeah. a little bit detached to say that you are only attached to your narrative while you are reading it. Like, or while you are consuming it. Yeah. So you are only involved in a movie when you are watching it. Yeah. Completely, right, reframes the structure of how you think about that medium now. Because, yeah. and I think that's the point we're trying to get at, is that when you look at this game design approach, you're looking at mechanics, dynamics, and aesthetics in a straight line. Okay? Yeah. You're not looking at them as this amalgam or in a loop or as a Venn diagram, right? You're yeah. not looking at overlapping because dynamics and covers all of that. And yep. you're not looking at what is the player doing. Mechanics covers all of that. A lot of the study itself is focused right on the aesthetics then, which is the effects, right? Yeah. And the effects could be right anything. So they tried to categorize them yeah. right into these multiple different areas. And you can see why a lot of people have looked at the aesthetics subject of the MDA framework because they've tried to get it even further, yeah. right? Into then, well, how are players aesthetically approaching to these games? which for me is completely ignoring the M and the D, right? The mechanics and the dynamics of Well, those. no, I don't, th I don't think it is, actually. I think what, in okay, fact, yeah. I think what it is actually doing, and I think one of the reasons why it's, d despite the its issues, it's still strangely useful, is because it's 
perversely modeled on the production process itself. Because if you think of the way in which, especially like in larger studios, a lot of these like various aspects are siloed from one another. Like, you know, the way engineers are often siloed from writers are often siloed from designers are often... I think that's bad, but it is a way in which things are commonly done. And strangely actually, enough, this describes that. This describes No, it does. The NBA yeah. framework absolutely describes this 20-year-old embedded process yes. of production of yes. video games. Yep. So when we're looking at the MDA framework, for me, my main read and my main takeaway was less about how to design games, but about how to produce a game. Yes, and which is weird because it sort of it claims that it's that it's a design framework, but and actually, but I don't think this is a problem that is specific to these the the, the these three authors because I do see this very commonly in a lot of sort of like texts about you know you know introductions to game design or even like various aspects of game design where they actually assume that the production process is synonymous with design and i that's a that's a but that's not a that's not a these authors problem that is a sort yes of like, that's that's an industry no, problem. Yeah, yeah, that is an industry problem for sure. And I, I definitely want to say that like when we were looking at this and we were doing the reading and the homework, right? Like even myself kind of already as a designer, writer, developer, like read into mechanics and read into different things and like put my own attributed definitions when they were not, right? Like and so on. Yeah. And so it's very important when you're reading this, right? To I love doing this with Nicholas because we're kind of critical of ourselves and then we get together and then we're critical of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when looking at this, it's incredibly important to remember that there are some helpful things for this. Like, I do think that some of their dynamic models go into how games play into very, like, straightforward binary choices, right? Because yeah. they do come from code and it does yeah. boil down to code or how die rolls, right, can affect or RNG can affect. And even going so far into creating some examples for basically right designing a game off of this yeah but i have to agree that for me my read and my main takeaway from this is right if this helps you like very like a lot with your individual like gaming creatings i think that's great and it does very much align with how a lot of industry professionals at the AAA level or who have been in the industry for 20 plus years think about how they create games yep. and how about they design the mechanics yep. and because they are in a linear path that's where we get the term narrative wrapper yep. because this is just the thing that we put over code yep. and code just kind of lives underneath of it, yep. which in fact, from this podcast, as well as from my own work is that <laughs> narrative is not a wrapper nope. on this box. You still unwrap the box. And then if you <laughs> have a shitty box, <laughs> it's, it, that's all you get. <laughs> Well, I think that's actually a really great, the, the shitty box is a really great place to to end it for this particular week. We want to thank you all for listening to this free episode. Um, we sort of restrained our, we didn't do a very good job of restraining ourselves from being snarky, but if you want the full snark, you are in fact going to have to sign up at least at the $5 Patreon level. However, if you want to get in contact with us, you can always catch us on Twitter. I am at Academicality. Lauren is at the Lauren Ash. We also have a... Uh, account for the podcast which is Pod. Um, so that's all for this week and we hope to see you again next time